What are you having for dinner tonight? If you think about it, is it a bit of meat and veg or maybe you're going down a vegan or vegetarian route, maybe some spag bol. And if you are eating out tonight, how well do you know your food? The chicken is a heritage breed, uh, woodland raised chicken that's been fed a diet of sheep's milk, soy and hazelnuts. Okay, this is, this is local? Yes, absolutely. How big is the area where the chickens are able to roam free? <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. I have exactly the same question. Four acres. Jokes aside, uh, some new dietary guidelines are being developed for the government in which you'll be asked to consider sustainability in your menu choices, and I bet you probably don't already. Have you thought about how sustainability uh, affects what you eat at home or at a restaurant or out and the impact your food has on the environment and the climate? This body was tasked with compiling our national food guidelines, the National Health and Medical Research Council is looking to kind of incorporate this into its next update. I'd love to hear from you as a consumer if you'd pay attention to more information about this or it, maybe you already do. I'd love to hear from you. 0418 Lawrence in Melbourne says, as a 35-year vegetarian, nearly all of our food is sustainable and ethical. Uh, this one too, the cost of living crisis should be the perfect opportunity to be eating more sustainably. A packet of red or brown lentils is way cheaper than beef or chicken mince and a lot healthier. And this one too, eating less meat and dairy is both sustainable and more affordable. Love to hear your thoughts. 0418 Have you thought about the sustainability of what you're going to be putting on the dinner table tonight? Dr. Rosemary Stanton is a senior visiting fellow at UNSW. She was involved in the last food guidelines that came out in 2013. Uh, Rosemary, I'm assuming that those guidelines have changed a fair bit from 2013. Why? What are these food guidelines and what do they matter is my question. Well, I guess they matter, Andy, because it's uh, trying to give people information about what would be the best food to eat for their health. Now, we've had these guidelines. Australia's first dietary guidelines came out in 1981, and they've been revised a few times, but not nearly often enough since then. So the revision that came out in 2013, we actually started working on in 2009. So it took us four years to get those guidelines. And part of the delay was basically because those of us who are working on them, or the number of us who are working on them, were very keen to have much more on sustainability in the guidelines, and there was some opposition to that. From whom? Uh, uh, well, the opposition came from uh, people in agriculture. Um, some opposition came from people like CSIRO at the time. I think they would have changed their tune uh, by now. I hope they have. Um, but there was a bit of opposition from people saying, and I, I guess people were concerned that we were going to say have less animal foods. And if you're looking at at sustainability, you're going to have to stay have fewer, you know, less animal foods. But that doesn't necessarily mean none, of course. And it also means it's probably some people who already eat far too many animal foods who need to cut down, whereas some other people will find those foods really quite important to provide nutrients. Pregnant women, for example, um, small children, you can certainly feed all of those people on a healthy vegetarian diet, but it does take a little bit more knowledge. So, uh, but people were concerned about that. We did put a little bit in the guidelines, just so pointing out that if you actually ate according to the guidelines and you didn't eat too much and you minimised your food wastage and you sort of thought about what you're buying, if how long you're going to store it, that you weren't going to sort of throw some of the food out and that you'd think about the packaging, that they would all be factors that would be relevant. But, of course, there is 
uh, rather a lot more, which goes back to the way the foods are grown, they're processed, uh, they're transported, they're packaged, they're distributed, they're stored, and, of course, the food waste is important too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, knowledge is power, no, no doubt, but too much knowledge is completely debilitating. I, I just wonder how <laughs> we, we give consumers more um, information without overwhelming them. To this uh, point, uh, this texter says the Australian Dietary Guidelines cannot possibly cover the complexity of sustainable food choices. Can they? Well, they probably could because they're not going to say you must eat X gram. Everyone must eat X grams of this particular food, but they certainly will look at it. And it certainly is different in different parts of the world and different for different people. So we do need some different guidelines. I already mentioned briefly, you know, young children, pregnant women who need quite different food from uh, middle-aged men, for example. Um, but the, the guidelines will need to look at a lot of these things, and they will be need to be specific for Australia. And that's why we we, we need to have a look at it. Now, I think that every country that so far has sustainability in their dietary guidelines, and there are quite a few of them now, um, Denmark, Belgium, Italy, Finland, Sweden, Germany, Qatar are quite good. They've all come up with the idea that really we need to have our diets more towards more plant-based foods and fewer animal-based foods. Now, that doesn't mean everyone has to have no animal foods, but we, we need to also look at the kind of animal foods because the production of certain animal foods is far more environmentally costly than the production of animal food, other animal foods. So, for example, beef is, is uh, you know, hard to do, particularly if you're going to sort of cut down the trees, grow some crops, put all the, all the beef cattle in a, in a sort of a, a feedlot, transport the food to them, um, you know, you've, you're using two lots of land, you've got a whole lot of things. So now a lot of cattle in Australia are free range. A lot of our lambs sort of um, use land that isn't particularly suitable for growing crops. They're going to be very useful when we have solar farms because sheep live very happily underneath solar panels. It gives them a bit of shade and the grass still grows. I've heard, um, yeah. Yeah, so that it'll it'll all of these things need to be taken into account. The kind of fish that you eat, the seafoods that you eat, will vary, and they'll vary in different parts of the country. So, we will need to look at all of these things, and we did try and look at them in the last dietary guidelines. But as I said, there was um, a feeling that this was going to be bad news for some people. Well, and so I, I know in the it, didn't get up in the countries you mentioned that do have dietary uh, or sustainability uh, considerations in their dietary guidelines. None of those have large beef uh, flocks or, uh, sorry, uh, herds like we do in this country and therefore the lobbies that go with them. If you just join me on RN Drive, it's 22 past four. Dr Rosemary Stanton, who was involved in the 2013 food guidelines, is here. We're talking about the prospect of sustainability being included in the upcoming guidelines. You're telling me on the text line 0418 whether you take into account sustainability in your uh, menu choices, whether you're eating at home or uh, out. Uh, Graham in East Gippsland says, uh, I've been having beef that's been grass-fed and managed so it, it sequesters five times as much carbon as emitted on the farm. So Graham's obviously very savvy uh, in his uh, understanding of where his food's coming from. Frank says, uh, Australian-grown vegetable proteins such as chickpeas are not hard to find. There's even a quinoa farm here in Tasmania. 
David is defending the eating of lentils. He says, uh, well, you know, lentils are for every time you sit down at the dinner table. And this takes two, cooking uh, zucchini tonight uh, straight from my garden. It has zero carbon footprint for us. This brings me to my question about the equity in all of this, uh, Rosemary, because at the, t- the moment, of course, we have a cost of living crisis. Not everyone can uh, pull zucchinis out of their uh, spacious uh, lot, lot uh, where they're growing their vegetables. Does it inordinately punish uh, people from low socioeconomic areas who perhaps don't have the information and don't have the money to be able to exercise better dietary choice? Well, that's a very good point because 58%, a recent study has shown that 58% of the average food budget in Australia is spent on junk foods. So if you're using resources to produce junk foods, which are neither good for the environment nor your health, and 58% of your food budget's going on that, you're kind of wasting money. So in fact, if you eat healthy foods, not too much, and not eating the junk foods, you actually can save money. And it is much cheaper to buy the healthy diet that is recommended in, in, the, in things like the dietary guidelines than what the average Australian does. And people who mention the chickpeas and the lentils and all the legumes, they are incredibly cheap, much cheaper, and they're, they're highly nutritious. They need very little water when they're growing. They grow, you know, they're, they're so much better for, for the whole thing. So more plant-based foods. But that brings me to the point that you really basically, if you're going to eat well, you need to know how to prepare foods, but that also means you need to have time to prepare them. And I think that means we need to introduce the whole family to cooking and preparing meals. Children uh, need to learn to cook. When they learn how to cook, they're far, and if they have any vegetables growing at school, they're far more likely to eat the vegetables. Uh, men need to learn to cook. I know lots of men do, so I don't want people ringing up and saying they don't, but the <laughs> average family, the, the food choices are still left to the woman and if she's working and if she's got to travel to work, that's hard. So that's why it's very easy to say, look, let's just go and buy takeaway. The takeaway is actually expensive for what you get. It seems cheap at the time, but if we ate more plant foods and less animal food and we we chose the animal foods uh, more appropriately, I suppose, as well, uh, then that would actually save money as well as be much better for health and certainly better for the environment. I mean, we don't want to use land to grow crops that we then process to the extent that they've lost most of their nutrients. Far more sensible to choose those whole grain things, to use legumes, to use some of those plant-based seeds and various things. They're cheap and easy to do, but you need to know what to do with them and you need to have time. So all of these things, it's it's difficult. We've got to consider cultural considerations. We've got to consider skills. So there are a lot of things that, that come here, but I think we can do much better in giving people these guidelines. When the last guidelines came out, there was zero budget to actually tell the public what was in them and, and what they should be doing or what, you know, to, to help them do the, the right sort of thing. So naturally, we had very few people who actually followed those guidelines. So, you know, we could do much better. I'm very hopeful that we will um, this time and that we don't waste so much food. I mean, a third of the food that's grown in the world is wasted. And this is in itself produces lots of greenhouse gases as it is sort of for me and rotting. So we, we really could do better and we need to do better. Yeah. I, I also, 50% of all the food wasted in the world comes from my two children. Um, that's uh, <laughs> just a, a fun fact. It's terrible how much food we end up throwing away. Tell me if we agree that this argument or debate about sustainability of our food is sort of a proxy debate uh, about animal food, uh, food that we get from animals, does it mean that we're not taking animal welfare properly into consideration uh, and why not? 
Well, I guess we've sort of grown into the habit of, of eating beef and lamb as our main meats, beef particularly, which is the most, uh, and okay, you can produce it in better ways than we often do, but if we try to produce a lot of it and export a lot of it, that really isn't very sustainable. So we haven't, um, we don't eat some some food products much at all. Um, we don't eat goat, which is actually, you know, really quite good and is very popular in some places. Plentiful um, in, in some know, places, no less. Plentiful, you know, it doesn't need quite so much uh, care and attention, except you need good fences, um, so it doesn't get out and ruin, ruin, ruin everything. But we haven't taken enough attention to meat, the amount of meat we eat and the kind of meat we eat. And we need to sort of change that. But I think for those people who, for whatever reason, don't want to follow a a totally vegetarian diet, then we need to remember that less does not necessarily mean none. And so now many people prefer to have a vegetarian diet. I personally eat very little meat, um, though I do eat seafood and I eat chicken. If I think it's sort of um, sound a bit like the one you had in the beginning. Of your, your <laughs> if, you, if you know who its mum and dad were, yes. <laughs> yeah, if it's organically grown. But, you know, I don't do it very often. But, I mean, there's so many good things that we can eat that are delicious. But, I mean, if I go out somewhere and someone gives me some meat, I usually eat it. Um, I don't think think we have to be, um, you know, completely uh, think that we can have no meat, but we need to consider how much meat we're producing, how it's being produced. Now, there's been a lot of work done to try and reduce the amount of of, um, methane that that comes out in the farting of of cattle. Uh, It's not working all that well. There was a new report uh, just this week. It works better for for dairy cattle than it does for beef cattle because the animals don't really like the supplement very much. It's made usually from some seaweed. Uh, and when the dairy cattle are being milked and it's in there in front of them, they'll eat it. But if you've got cattle roaming freely in the fields, they'll tend to avoid it. So that's just been shown, you know, it's not working as well, but, but they are trying to do better things. Um, but I think we need to sort of um, make sure that we don't think everything's all right with the way we're eating. It's not. Um, we've got lots of people who have lots of diseases caused by the the poor sort of diet we eat, which doesn't mean that you never get another piece of chocolate cake or you never get another birthday cake or an ice cream or something, but we do need less of the foods that aren't good for us and much more of the ones that are. And that's going to be mostly mostly plant-based foods. So veggies are terrific, and if you can grow them yourself, if you've got the wherewithal, you've got a balcony or you've got a garden, um, then listen to Costa Georgiadis and, and uh, grow your own, <laughs> work out indeed. how you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Rosemary Stanton, such a pleasure. You're such a legend of uh, how we understand uh, what we eat and what we should be doing to eat uh, better. Uh, You're a senior visiting fellow at the University of New South Wales and you're involved in the last food guidelines that came out in 2013. Good to talk to you. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.